We are going to start off our show with our ongoing coverage of the crisis in Haiti. It has been almost a week since Haitian President Jovenel Moïse was assassinated in his home, yet many questions remain up in the air. You might recall that on July 7th, 2021, U.S.-backed Haitian President Jovenel Moïse was killed during an attack on his private residence, a heavily armed commando unit. Um, was said to assassinate him. But of course, this is all up in the air. I mean, we're being told that the assassination was carried out by 26 Colombian military vets and two Haitian Americans. That is what authorities have said. But what were Colombian ex-military members doing in Haiti? How did the assailants get through a fortified compound defended by Haitian security forces with no other deaths. Um, now, CNN has, they have come out with um, what they say they have put together about the, the gunfight and the chase that followed the assassination of Jovenel Moïse. Let's go to that clip now. Hours after Haiti's president was assassinated, gunfire still crackled through Port-au-Prince. But this time, it was the alleged assassins under attack. As bullets slammed into the concrete walls around the group, one fighter called his sister. He told me they were in a house, she says, under siege, under fire and fighting. She added he's not a killer. Just 36 hours after a group of more than two dozen Colombians and two Haitian Americans allegedly assassinated a president, most would either be detained or declared dead. This is how that happened, according to a source with knowledge of the operation to track them down. Nighttime video from around the time of the president's death quickly went viral, where you could hear a suspect claiming there was a DEA operation ongoing. Later, a convoy of five cars can be seen leaving the area with ease, but down the road, a trap was being set. As the convoy traveled down Kenscoff Road, a roadblock was ready. Heavily armed security forces would not let them pass without a fight. Arriving and seeing they couldn't go any further, the convoy stops, part of which you can see here. Our source says the suspects jumped out and saw this building across the road. They raced toward it, immediately taking the stairs to the second floor. It's in this building that these alleged mercenaries will begin defending themselves. But at the same moment they're coming in here, according to our source, Haitian security forces are making a crucial decision. They know that these alleged attackers have limited food, water, ammunition, and no power. So they essentially decide to wait them out. About 12 hours later, after baking in 90-plus degree Haitian heat, authorities throw tear gas in front of the building. It's enough to force negotiations, and the Colombians inside eventually send out four people, including this man, one of two Haitian-Americans whom authorities have detained. He's joined by the other Haitian-American and two Haitian hostages, a pair of police officers who were at the president's house. According to our source, at some point during the negotiations, a group of the Colombians still here come out of this building and start heading up this hill on the backside of the building. And eventually they make their way to a seemingly strange destination. Just about 100 meters up the hill from the building lies the Taiwan Embassy. 
Our source thinks the Colombians went there because it wasn't an easy place for police to enter, given its diplomatic immunity. In order to get all the way here to the embassy, though, they had to walk through a pretty residential neighborhood. And according to our source, someone tipped off authorities that this group of heavily armed men was here. When they arrived at the embassy, they found a largely empty building except for two security guards whom they tied up. Security forces quickly surrounded the embassy and then turned their attention back to the building below, where they believed a few suspects remained. It was time to go in. A small assault team went in on the ground floor and were met with fierce fire that you can hear from the handful of Colombians that were still inside. The hour-long firefight shattered windows, scarred concrete ceilings and walls, and in the end, the government says at least three Colombians died in the fighting. The next day, with Taiwan's permission, authorities went into the embassy. Our source says authorities checked CCTV cameras and found nearly a dozen Colombians in a room who ended up giving up without more fighting. Nearly a half dozen still haven't been found. Matt Rivers, CNN, Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Well, let's welcome uh, Kevin Pina, who is a journalist, filmmaker, educator. He is also serves as a country expert on Haiti, and he lived in Haiti uh, for about a decade or so, but he serves as a country expert on Haiti for the Varieties of Democracy Project, sponsored by the University of Notre Dame Center for Research Computing and the University of Gothenburg Department of Political Science and the Helen Kellogg Institute for International uh, Studies. And he also is heard on our sister station in Berkeley, KPFA. Kevin Pina, welcome back. Thanks, Margaret. Good morning. Okay, so Kevin, it seems as though um, we know that the on Sunday, July 11, Haitian authorities said they had arrested a Miami-based Haitian-born uh, doctor that they describe as a central figure in the assassination. The um, the a prime minister, whose legitimacy is being questioned all around, he has declared a state of siege and has asked the United States for military uh, help. Um, and meanwhile, officials from multiple U.S. agencies are joining the investigation into the assassination, and a senior Biden administration official confirmed that a technical team was being sent to the Caribbean uh, nation, and that includes representatives from the National Security Council, the State Department, the Department of Justice, and the Department of Homeland Security. So you can imagine all of the fears that that causes. But, um, Kevin, let's start to break this down because the media worldwide have accepted this story of these commandos, uh, many of whom were uh, Colombian, who went in to Moise's compound and assassinated him. A lot of questions about that story on the ground. Um, Kevin, what are you hearing? Well, first of all, you know, to hear CNN try to describe the Haitian police bend over backwards and try to describe the Haitian police as being professional in any way, it's just laughable and absurd. This is the same police department that's lost control of the country. And suddenly they're being heralded as law enforcement experts um, who are on top of this case and are, are arresting the correct suspects. The truth is that uh, this police force has fallen apart quite a while ago, and it is the recipient, has been the recipient of, of, of U.S. aid and U.S. training and U.S. arming 
uh, and equipping, and yet it has been incapable of establishing security in its own country. And certainly there are many, many questions to be answered, not about how that convoy of five cars got back down the road after the president was killed, but how they got up the road in the first place. Somebody had to, because there's all, it's, it's Labul, it's known as Rute Kinskov, Labul, I know it well, I used to live there. Uh, you, it's a single narrow road in and out. There's always security at the bottom of the hill since uh, Jovenel Moise took up residence in Pellerin Sink, Pellerin 5 in that area. Always a USGPN palace security unit and always a CMO unit, a SWAT unit. Those guys had to have passed that unit. Somebody gave them the okay to get up that hill. Again, one road in, one road out. They had to go past security at the bottom of the hill. So that question remains unanswered at this point. But more importantly, yesterday I was speaking with a, a businessman in Haiti who's very close to a lot of the people who are connected to the center of this politically and, and uh, in, this, in this so-called conspiracy. And really his, his statement was, you cannot throw a rock anywhere near this story without hitting a confidential informant of either the FBI, the DEA, or the CIA. That, in fact, they knew who Senan was, uh, the man who's being accused now of uh, the mastermind behind this, uh, Dr. Christian Emmanuel Senan. Uh, he was known, well-known by at least two U.S. government agencies for the past 12 months. He's been discussed among them. Uh, they've received phone calls from this particular businessman who actually called and asked about him, gave sort of a character reference. So they're very, very well aware of who, or have been aware of who Dr. Christian Emmanuel Sanon is for quite some time. We understand that uh, there are not just former FBI CIs that are close to this, who are Haitian American in Miami, but current confidential informers who are close to this. They're not telling the whole truth of the story. There's still mo more to unfold. Um, the real question is now, of course, the power vacuum that's been left in Haiti. And we've seen a move, uh, a big fight between the ultra-right. And by the way, these are all pushes. These are all people yeah, who supported Kevin, the 2004 Kevin, you know, coup. Before we go into the, the power vacuum, though, the, I just wanted to weigh in a little bit on, on this story because you're absolutely right. I mean, we are told that uh, Moise's compound protected by at least 100 uh, security people. You have um, the, some head of security of Moise's detail traveling to Colombia um, a couple of times, I, I think, and got who knows who he was uh, meeting with there. You have family members of the Colombians who were found, Colombians, some of whom, by the way, were trained in the School of the Americas, and I'd just like to underscore that uh, a little bit, that their job was to, quote-unquote, protect the president or protect a very important person. So to me, that leaves a lot of questions uh, uh, unanswered. I heard one story that people said that uh, the this alleged security detail had heard about a disturbance at Moise's uh, compound and that they went there. But that story doesn't seem to hold water either. But the fact that the only two people who were killed in this whole thing was Moise and um, Michelle Martelly, his wife, speaks volumes to me uh, with Mar Mar what Mar happened. Mar and also, yeah. 
Martin, Martin, yeah, Martin go on, Kevin. Isn't dead. She's, she's, Martin is not dead. Uh, Martin Moise is alive in Miami. Yeah, she was injured. She was shot and injured. But I'm saying they were the only two who were shot. Moise killed, his wife injured, nobody else except the, the two Colombians that were then killed in the in the shootout. So that happened afterwards. I mean, how is all of that possible? It doesn't make sense, it seems. Well, I mean, look at look at the the ferocity of the attack. This is this is this more resembles a was made to resemble the the look of a gangland hit than the assassination of a head of state. Uh, rarely do you have a head of state who's able to be shot twelve times uh, and and sustain the amount of damage that uh, former president uh, the deceased president's body sustained. Uh, as I said, this was made to look, the intentionally made to look like a gangland hit. Now, you don't do, I mean, anybody who, if you look historically, normally you don't have 26 uh, people, uh, you know, try to assassinate a president. It's usually smaller teams and crews, you know, of professional hitmen. Uh, there are a lot of things that just simply don't add up in all of this. But I think especially, as you said, Dimitri Herard, who's the head of the USGPN, the palace security is under heavy scrutiny. Um, it would have been impossible for this to have, had, have, have happened without, first of all, tremendous funding, but also, secondly, uh, very deep sources and help on the ground. Um, whoever is responsible uh, of this, they're, they're not Colombian for sure. And we're just not simply, we're simply not buying that Dr. Christian... Uh, Emmanuel Sanon is the mastermind behind this. It just does not add up. He doesn't really have the financial resources. If you look at look at his background, this business person that I spoke to yesterday also expressed skepticism, saying that he really believes that Sanon is the fall guy and that the people who entrapped Sanon and set him up and the Colombians as well uh, are the ones who are behind it. We don't know who that hand is, but we may never. Because the United States' role in Haiti is not going to, has never been to uncover the truth. It's always been about U.S. interests. And if U.S. interests dictate uh, burying and covering this up, then that's exactly what will be done. But, you know, I, I like how you open this segment, which is all of this can be traced back to the coup of 2004 and what has been irreparable harm and damage that's been done to this country by the international community. If we want to look at the real cause of this, that's how we ended up here. Absolutely. And before, I, I do want to get to the power struggle that's going on now, but first taking a look at some of the confusion uh, that is being sown. There's so much misinformation uh, floating around. And when I was in, the, the last few times I was in Haiti, uh, Kevin, I was covering the massacres that happened, did this video of massacres in, in La Saline, where um, communities that were strongholds of resistance against the Moise administration, and also, by the way, strongholds of supporters of Lavalas, which is the movement and party headed by Jean Breton, Aristide, um, and there were massacres were brutal. It, you know, brought back memories of the Tonton Makut during the Duvalier era. And person after person after person named this guy named Barbecue, Jimmy uh, Cherizer, who as as really the person, a former police 
officer um, um, with backing from the Moise administration uh, doing these massacres. Now, he has formed a coalition of these so-name gangs all over the places, like this gang warfare that's going on, and it really covers over, to me, just referring to it as gang warfare, covers up a deeper uh, truth. But, Kevin, I was really alarmed to see that barbecue is now being rehabilitated as some kind of revolutionary leader. And you have a journalist like Kim Ives, who is frequently on Democracy Now!, their go-to person on Haiti, running around with this story, publishing an article about it that I think was in Jacobin uh, just a few days ago. Uh, Kevin Peen, I don't know if you are as alarmed as I am about building this man up as some kind of revolutionary leader. He's a mass murderer. Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, this businessman that I spoke to yesterday, you'll, you'll like, you'll, you'll find this interesting. Um, I had asked him about what he thought about uh, barbecue and G9, and he had said that uh, when he had first started hearing about him, he was living in the United States, uh, in Florida, and uh, that he had actually spoken to a member of the NSC, and this is a member of the NSC who also was very well aware of who Christian Emmanuel Sanan was. And he asked him, well, what do you, what, what's up with this barbecue guy, this, 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 this uh, former cop, Jimmy Cherizer? And the guy texted him back a single-word answer, Marta Lee. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that, <laughs> that really tells you a whole heck of a lot here because I've noticed that other news out outlets, international news outlets, are now picking up this story about, uh, about barbecue. And anyway, so this is to be continued, but that, you know, I always warn our listeners that we really have to be careful um, whose voices we listen to in terms of what's happening on the ground in Haiti, because there's so many COINTELPRO operations. Uh, there is so much at stake, it seems, since the revolution of 1804, Kevin, uh, the United States for sure has continued to intervene and destabilize and occupy and carry out coups, etc. But the the Haitian people have been um, resilient in all of this. So we'll see where that goes. But certainly, um, I, for one, I'm going to say what Haitians have reported to me about this man, uh, Barbecue, and it is far from the truth, this rehabilitation that seems to be happening of him. But now, Kevin, um, I know you want to talk about the power struggle that's happening now following the assassination, the, power, the struggle for who will lead Haiti, Kevin Pina. Well, 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 first of all, we realize that this party, the ruling party in Haiti, the PHTK, is only there by virtue of a U.S. intervention by then Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton, where they actually changed the way in which ballots were calculated that allowed Martelly to go on to the second round and win the presidency. Uh, this is the 10th year of the PHTK ruling party being in power. Jovenel Moise, of course, is the successor of Michel Martelly. Um, they're all pushes, as I was saying. All of these people were involved, were rewarded for their role in the 2004 coup. That includes the current Prime Minister, Claude Joseph, who actually was then anointed by Helen Lalim and the international community, the so-called Friends of Haiti uh, group of concerned nations, the so-called core group, who then anointed him as the interim president 
who would then see Haiti into the next election cycle. And that's really what this is, has been about. I mean, that's really what, what this has exposed, is that really the Martelly wing, the Michel Martelly wing of the power, which Jovenel Moise represented. And, but his prime minister did not. His prime minister, Claude Joseph, represented what was called the GNB, the Grenamboudan, or the Brown Shirt Student Movement, uh, who were really the shock troops that created the most violent demonstrations in order to show that Aristide had lost control of the country, justifying the 2004 coup. Claude Joseph wow. was rewarded for that. He has long ties to the U.S. intelligence community, as does the person who was supposed to replace him. And remember the timing of this. That, in fact, Jovenel Moise was assassinated the very day that his new appointed hand-picked prime minister, Ariel Henry, was supposed to be invested into the premature, the prime minister's office. And Claude Joseph, of course, benefited directly from this because he then stepped up and claimed himself president, then anointed by the international community, setting off an internecine battle now for power, scrambling for power. And it's really... You know, the, the, the Martelly wing could not win elections. It was clear that their brand had been so tainted that they could not win the next, or it was going to be questionable whether they could win the next elections. If that's the case, and their stranglehold over the elections, and their, uh, w most Haitians called them selections, was weakened, it really opened the door for reemergence of Fami Lavalas again. Because they are poised to take, <laughs> to win elections should there ever be real free and fair elections in that country. So now we have a scramble of power, everybody courting the United States, saying we're the ones who can manage this, we're the ones who can make sure that this comes off the way that we want to. Because really, at the end of the day, it's about somebody being in power that the U.S. can trust to maintain the status quo of the oligarchy, of the established economic monopoly that those few families still have over the economy of Haiti. And that's really, at the end of the day, what it's about. Who is the U.S. going to anoint to, to be sure that they take those, those next elections and continue the status quo of the elite, the oligarchy, and U.S. proxies, if you will, inside of Haiti? U.S. proxies, indeed, and and you know, Kevin, I you know, I always think that there isn't a whole lot that happens on the ground in Haiti, uh, politically or economically, that the United States doesn't have a hand in, if not directly, indirectly, or somehow allowing it to happen. And this issue of elections. You know, that's been really contentious. One was that there were, Moise was trying to um, redo the, the Constitution, the Haitian Constitution, and basically bring back the Duvalieris uh, Constitution that the movement had managed to get rid of. But you're right about the thing about elections, because from the OAS, the Organization of American States, the U.S., the Biden administration, everybody had been pushing, pushing, pushing elections to happen and the movement on the ground were saying this is not feasible it is not possible first of all um Maurice had packed the electoral council which was a problem in and of itself but given um the level of of violence and uprising etc happening there it just was impossible and the people were asking for a period a, a kind of a transitional uh period where members various representatives from the opposition 
nation would come together to work towards a government, uh, a kind of a good governance structure. And it was only at that point that they could think about elections. So it seems to me now that with the assassination that has happened and the crisis on the ground where there isn't a constitutional guide for how to resolve this, with this Claude Joseph uh, Duvalieris um, himself um, being in charge, that there are a lot of forces that would do anything, it seems to me, other than Fami Lavalas being back in power. There's so much. I mean, the, Lavalas isn't mentioned hardly ever in the mainstream press, but everybody that knows Haiti knows very well the popularity and strength of Fami Lavalas on the ground and how the United States, the OAS, the core group, sees the threat of Fami Lavalas getting back into power. Um, Kevin Pina. Well, um, ab- absolutely, and that's, that's the point. And, uh, if we, you know, July the 15th is Aristide's birthday. We'll see if there are going to be uh, celebrations. You know that the uh, police now have banned all protests and all demonstrations. Uh, there was one that was called for today. We're going to see if uh, – I'm going to check in with that very shortly in the streets and see what's going on there. Uh, but uh, the, the country is basically right now – got to tell you, there are already U.S. troops in Haiti. And there are certainly U.S. troops in the Dominican Republic poised to come over the border should they uh, be deemed necessary by the Pentagon. We know that the Haitian government, that uh, that, uh, Claude Joseph's government, has already asked for U.S. military assistance on the ground. Um, All of this, of course, again, is ostensibly to restore democracy. But isn't that exactly what the international community said it was doing when it overthrew Aristide in 2004? And we really have to ask ourselves, has U.S. intervention, has international intervention done more harm than good in Haiti? And I think that anybody uh, who, who's honest about that would say that it's done more harm, that in fact the very institutions that they said they were going to rebuild in the name of democracy are today so weakened and at the core of the, the, the inability uh, of 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 the popular movement to address and redress the endemic corruption that now marks the current ruling party again a ruling party that was put directly into office by the United States government has had could only stay in office and stay in power by virtue of support of the international community led by the United States they have a direct responsibility for what's going on on the ground. And the, really the only solution is get the hell out of Haiti. Let things take their proper course. There is a popular movement. There is a democratic movement that's vibrant in that country that includes and is often led by Fami Lavalas in the streets. There are, of course, other sectors of the opposition that should be at the table. But really, there needs to be a pause button put on all this and the PHTK corrupt ruling party put out of power and a government of national consensus that can lead and rebuild Haitian institutions take a year or two, which is the proposal that Fami Lavalas has put forward called Sali Public. Take a year or two, put a pause on it, rebuild those institutions, have Haitians come together in dialogue, different forces at the table in order to decide what is best for their future, what is best for the majority of their citizens without U.S. interference, without interference of the international community. 
Right. Well, on that note, Kevin, we will be calling on you again, and we will be continuing to follow this story. For people who want to follow you, you are so involved with the situation on the ground. And uh, on Twitter, you have so much information. Um, give us the Twitter handle uh, where people could find your work, Kevin Pina. Uh, it's the at sign, Haiti Info Project, H-A-I-T-I-I-N-F-O-P-R-O-J. Right. Thank you so much for your work, uh, Kevin Pina, and you stay well and safe.